0: February 13th. Alright, so we're in chapter 4. I just went through the first 10 verses because I thought they would probably give us a lot to talk about. We'll uh, do the other half next week. Y'all can think about where you want this class to go from here. Uh, There's only five chapters in James. So we can do another book somebody else can Take over for a while. It really doesn't matter to me. It's whatever everybody wants. We've got options. Uh, so James starts chapter four. Um, yeah, chapter four with asking the question: Where do wars and fights come from? Where do wars and fights come from among you? And then he answers that question: Do they? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members or yourself? And I like the NIV is a little easier to read the first three verses there. Basically, in summary, it says, You desire, so you kill. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you fight. And then it's interesting, the next two points he makes, he says, You don't have... Because you don't ask God. But then when you do ask, you don't receive because you asked selfishly for the wrong motives. So we argue and fight because we don't get what we want, even so much to killing people over it. We don't have what we want because we didn't ask for it, but most of the time... We're asking selfishly. The rest of the first ten verses is making the point to humble ourselves in the sense of humbling ourselves to what God's will is versus what we simply want. And then that can be further to say humbling ourselves to Put the needs and wants of others in front of our own. My commentaries made the point that we are told to go to war and fight against evil that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. <coughs> Second, Second Corinthians 103 through6 and Ephesians 6 and 12, following uh, discusses that. Verse 4, he immediately says in verse 4, adulterers and adulteresses, which is interesting. The rest of verse 4 says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The... Again, the commentary I made really looked at the fact that he addresses those of us in this category as adulterers and adulteresses stating that we're married to Christ. We, the church, the church is the bride and Christ is the groom. So if you're doing the will of the, yourself or the world and not doing God's will, then you're an adulterer Against Christ, I thought that was quite the insight on James's part, and quite the slap in the face when you realize where he's coming from. Uh, 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 not to be taken wrong, and a, a deservingly so slap in the face. Also, making the point that this verse is not saying that we can't have friendships. We, we have relationships and friendships in the world. And es- especially considering if, if, if we use those relationships and friendships to lead non believers to Christ. So, it's not saying we can't have friends. It's not saying we can't have friends that don't believe it's saying we are not uh, we can't be doing our own will and the will of the world and God's at the same time verse 5 even drives home that point verse 5 says do you think that the scripture says in vain the spirit dwells in us yearns jealousy which is a little wordy and confusing but basically saying that we can't serve two masters. It's saying if we we could be friends with both God and the world at the same time, then the Scriptures aren't true. God cannot tolerate divided loyalty. Matthew 6.24 is where uh, it says uh, you cannot serve God and man at the same time. then verse 6 is is interesting. It says, but he, God, gives more grace. He says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And uh, here the point is made that grace used in this verse is used in the sense of God giving us help giving us the power to accomplish His will. God gives grace to the humble. And the proud are those who trust in their own wisdom, not in, in God's wisdom. Uh, I've got Hebrews 13 there. Hebrews thirteen five and 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness Be content with such things as you have. For Jesus, he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So now we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So basically the point here is that it's it's difficult to get through this life. And we are to humble ourselves to God's will. And that may be difficult for us to do as well. But for those of us that humble ourselves to God and His will, we're also going to ask Him to help us to know His will and help us to do it. And the point here is that He's going to help us. And Quite honestly, we can't do it without His help. the whole point here is the humility to say, your will above my own, help me to do that. Even the humility to say, I messed up. I sin every day. God gives us grace in the form of forgiveness uh, for the humility to, to acknowledge that. Philippians 4.13 is the verse that says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So yes we receive help. We receive strength. We have to humble ourselves to ask for it. We have to humble ourselves to know that we need it. So that's why he says in verse 7. Therefore submit to God. Is be humble. And in the second sentence of verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. I thought it was interesting that he actually used the word flee to think that the devil would actively run away from us. That's a pretty good thought to me. Draw near to God in verse 8 and he will draw near to you. When I read that, I, I, I think even a younger version of myself fell into the trap of thinking, I, I can't be good enough. God, God would never want me or be happy with me. I can't be good enough. Or, or somebody might say, I'm too far gone. I've done too many things. And that's not how God thinks. In Acts 17,
1: verse
0: 27, uh, it's saying here that God has made man, verse 27, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might reach out for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. He didn't say He's not far from some of us, or He's not far from those who believe him and in Him. He says He is not far from each one of us. Whether we're in this class or at home, or somebody sitting on death row, each one of us. these references and then I forget which what they said <laughs> Matthew 28 and 20 I think that's where he said I'm with you always yeah Matthew 28 and 20 teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you and Jesus says and lo I'm with you always even to the end of the age. Come near to God and He will come near to you. Jesus is with us always and the Lord is never far from any of us. Purify your hearts. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Purify. Confess your sins. Humble again the same thing. Humble yourself.
1: Um.
0: I don't have the NIV version in front of me, but verse 9: lament and mourn and weep. I think NIV says, be sorrowful. Sorrowful. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. That's interesting. Why would James say, be gloomy? Well, that's explained in 2 Corinthians. And, and again, the point here is that somebody is recognizing that they've messed up. They've they're in the process of recognizing, "Hey, I need to humble myself." Second, Second Corinthians seven and verse nine. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. Verse 10, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation not to be regretted. I like verse 11. It says, For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner what diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. When we realize we messed up, we're sorry for it. That leads us to repentance. And that's a good thing. Be sorry. Be, be sorry for what you've done and... and that should make you sad that you did it. But that also leads to vindication. And then, and then finally, verse 10, humble yourselves. He just finally comes out and says it. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. We humble ourselves when we recognize that we need God's help. We obey His commands instead of being led by our own <coughs> desires. We seek to live like Jesus. And when we do those things, God will, some versions say, exalt us. Some versions say, lift us up. And God will acknowledge us as children. He will give us the strength to meet every trial of life. If we remain faithful, He will give us eternal life with Him in heaven. And then I finished with Revelation 2.10. Jesus speaking, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. We, we all suffer something in some way. Do not fear any of those things. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. first 10 verses of chapter 4 is all about humbling ourselves to know that we need help, to ask for help, to confess when we've messed up to God, asking for forgiveness, and putting His will above our
1: own. He's out. Good <laughs> job. Put the or put him to sleep? Put him to sleep? I put him to sleep. <laughs> I, I was thinking on the verse that Harris used that kind of goes along what we're talking about today. know, When a person decides to follow Jesus, we become, through the process, of repentance and recognizing that sometimes we fall short. Sure. We are presented before God as a piece of gold would be refined in its nature. And so with that we have an opportunity, for people, human beings, have an opportunity to be presented before God as a piece of gold all throughout their life if they follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. And uh, I am just, just sitting here thinking about that, it's just that's a that's a that's a blessing in itself that I think a lot of times we don't realize and and we can use those relationships that you talked about here with people that are in the world, to maybe influence them for the better. Mm-hmm. And so, <coughs> I don't know, I, I, I never had really thought about that too much, but Harry said that on the screen this morning, and it, it really, I don't know, I guess I, I thought about it a little bit, and then the lesson too. It, um, it's really, it's really a good thing. So, those are my two cents worth.
0: And you know when I went through it, I thought that this those first ten verses it also um, shows that we can be in Christ and still we're still going to sin and fall short and when we do it's all about recognition that we've done that and asking for forgiveness um, versus the thought of um, Versus, versus the thought of maybe once saved, always saved. That Those ten verses show you can fall away. You can be a, in the good and fall away, but you can also come back.
1: Well, it kind of makes me think of the, the song with the kill you makes you stronger. It's like, we're going to fall short, but if you fall short and you realize it and you mm-hmm. humble yourself and ask for repentance, then you have godly sorrow then God blesses you with grace and builds you back up again. Right. That, will, that whole process, if you can continue that process, then your Christian faith and your relationship with God is going to continue to grow stronger with right. each instance.
0: That's been the theme through all the first three, verse, three, three chapters of James. He started James 1 with rejoice when you have struggles, knowing that that produces a stronger, a, stronger, a, a stronger faith. Knowing that you, you're, the testing of your faith is on purpose. Knowing that, that you don't punish your children, knowing that they will be better for it. I shouldn't use the word punish. We're not punished in this world Discipline. by God. Discipline <laughs> is a good word. We're not allowed to be tested knowing that on the other end we'll come out more faithful. That's the whole theme of, of James.
1: But here, if you miss this part, though, then you continue your wayward you, path. Correct. I'll share this too. But we had a Mexican guy, and he's, he's very smart. But and he, he apparently had been watching, you know, Dad and I go to church, our family go to church, and he asked one time. He said. Uh, why don't you go to church? When you die, you're going to go six feet under, and that's it. You know, and I, and I think about how sad that is. Because if you have that mentality, if you're in the world, and you live, you pay, you do everything that you're supposed to do with your obligations to this life, and that's all you think that is in the end, how sad that is. And uh, I don't know, I think we should just all... Consider that to be such a blessing that we've been taught in such a way, and that we, we know that if we do follow Jesus, the grand prize for us, if we fall away, is a, is a home in heaven. Mm-hmm. And so, it, and I'm not sure, we haven't discussed it a lot with, with gentlemen, but it just, I think there's a lot more people out there that, that follow somewhat of his mentality more so than us sure. Christians. And I, I don't know. It's just I think about that from time to time. Just looking at it, the last little verse here. He still believes that way, but his wife goes to church every yeah. doors are open, and she took all their kids. Interesting. Kids. And all of the kids believe. In yeah. Church.
0: I I have observed there there's there's three groups of people. Um, generally speaking, the ones that it's. When you're dead, it's lights out and it's just over. Nothing, nothing good or bad. It's just lights out. Uh, then there's the group of people that believe, but believe for the sake of not going to hell. Okay? I believe in Jesus, believe in heaven, believe in hell, but I do what I do and I go to church because I don't want to go to hell, which is correct, but in my opinion, immature. And then finally, the group that, that we try to be in, and that is I do what I do because of the joy that we have to have a home in heaven with Jesus and God. I was watching TV the other night, and there's a commercial that came on, and I forget the name of the organization, uh, but basically it's for uh, it's pro-atheism. And the speaker they had on there was Ron Reagan Jr. Uh, and uh, he signed. He, he gave his little spiel, and he, how he signed off on it really struck me, which... He's one of the best speakers, if you've ever read anything of his or anything like that. And he gave a, he gave a speech, he, he gave one of the speeches at Ronald Reagan's funeral. And it was one of the best speeches I ever heard in my life. He's a fluent speaker, which makes his commercial... Impressive, but he signed off of his commercial and he said, "Ron Reagan Jr., lifelong atheist, not afraid of burning in hell." And I thought, "You'll eat those words." <laughs> and I thought, "That's a statement."
1: But if you believe in hell, then are you? An so atheist? he. So I thought,
0: just that statement right there is contradictory. Right. You're you're acknowledging that
1: there, that there is, a is a hell,
0: hand. but you're saying that your atheism is going to keep you like. You're contradicting yourself in that statement. Like, I just, I would really I love...
1: If believe in hell, why do you want to be there? Correct. Right.
0: I would love to have ten minutes with him. Are you, <laughs> selfish? <laughs> like, Are you that selfish? Yeah. It made no sense. I, I thought, you're contradicting
1: yourself. I've heard it said, too, that it actually takes more of a faith or more of a commitment to not believe yeah. than it would actually take to believe. It, yeah. To
0: to look around, I, I, y'all, y'all know me. I love to be outdoors and hunt and fish and do all those things. And and I I go out, and I I'm always reminded of of the verses that say we've never seen God, but His existence is clearly seen. There's
1: some verses in Psalms that just say exactly. exactly. You, know, you don't see God in the sky, but how can you look at the sky? And right. The yeah. And
0: then I think about this is proof. It's all proof. Right? That little guy right there is proof. And it takes far more faith to say that all this is by accident. Or all this is by random whatever. Uh, The human... I've committed my life to studying the human body, right? It is perfect. What we do to it is bad. But the design and function of the human body is perfect. And nothing nothing short of divine. I challenge an atheist to take a human anatomy and physiology class and come out saying that's by accident. But... Jay, I, I don't know the verses, but you were talking about how we are, this group, we're referred to as a royal priesthood. And I'll have to look that verse up, but I, I've heard some people make the point, we as believers are royalty, <laughs> which is kind of interesting way to think of it, but that, that ver, I'll have to look and see where that's at, but that verbiage is used that we are, we the believers who are, Headed to heaven are a royal priesthood. I always thought that was a look at you. First Peter two nine. First Peter two verse nine. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praise praises of Him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. I'm sorry. I get emotional when I read those well, if we're sons, of, the
1: sons and daughters of God and he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If he's, he's the
0: King of Kings and we are his children. group and we are his children, then we if he's the king then we are the royal priesthood.
1: <laughs>
0: Which goes along to the Terminology like the crown of life. Mm -hmm. That's a good thought to end it on.